Good morning, guys. How we doing? I feel very lopsided for some reason this morning, like everybody's over here. Uh, we'll have some more straggling. I know it is December and uh, everybody's winding down and uh, man, we do not want to wind down. We want to keep on going here at Dad You. So welcome. For those of you I have not met, my name is Wes Butler. I'm the director of family ministry here and uh, I love being in this room every month with you guys and uh, just getting a chance to be sharpened in my role as uh, dad and, uh, and just thinking through how I can be a faithful steward of the responsibility that I've been given as a dad. So thank you guys for for being here. My assumption is that's why you're here too, is that we all woke up this morning going, man, I want to be the very best dad that I can be for the glory of God and for the good of my kids. And, uh, and so I hope that this morning is just another step in uh, our growth and sanctification in that area. So I'm excited for my buddy Adam Tarno to be leading us this morning. If you guys don't know Adam, uh, his family is up here. Let's go there. Sorry, Joe, I'm throwing you off. We'll come back to that. Uh, so his family doesn't look like that at all, Adam, do they? Oh, there they are. Uh, so Adam and Jackie, you guys have been married... 15 years. Come on, man. Uh, and so uh, Adam and Jackie actually were in community with uh, my wife and I, pre-kids, way back in the day. And so Adam and I have a long history, and uh, he's become such a good friend uh, over the years. And then your two kiddos up here. So Jake is... Fourth grade. Fourth grade. 10 years old, and Josh eight years old, second grade. There you go. Yeah. So uh, you're going to get to hear from Adam here in a minute. Let me just remind you what Dad You really is all about. It's just this, that our goal or our role rather as uh, parents, we, we are lured into thinking our role is all sorts of different things. And yet when we come right down to it, our very existence as human beings on the planet is to be followers of Christ, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourself. And then uh, once we have embraced the gospel, it is to make disciples of all nations. And so our primary role as dads is that of a disciple maker. And then our primary um, uh, focus there, uh, the goal then of every disciple maker is just faithfulness. It's not necessarily that our kids will turn out the right way, although we hope that that is an outworking of what happens. But just for us to be faithful, to control what we can control and the way that we're faithful, Adam's going to talk about that. And then how we think about what does it look like to be a faithful disciple maker really falls into those four categories. One that we model our faith in front of our kids, that we train up our children in the way that they should go as the scriptures encourage us to. We pray consistently for them. And then that we get to live in the peace of trusting in the God who is sovereign over all things as it relates to our kids and their lives and, and their future. So uh, that is our hope every time we gather in here is that we just grow in those four areas of modeling what it looks like to be faithful. And so this month, we're going to be talking about modeling faithfulness in the area of stewardship and money and all that, which is why I'm excited for you guys to hear from Adam. So I'm going to pray for him, pray for our time, and then uh, turn it over to Adam. So Father, we love you, and we thank you that you are a good and perfect father, Lord, that um, you have revealed yourself as such and that you have given us the gift of your son so that we might be, uh, through his atoning sacrifice, be adopted into your family and be able to call you our father. And so, Lord, we thank you for just the gift that that is. And, uh, and Lord, in some crazy uh, economy of yours, you've decided to leave us here to represent to our children at the uh, the very foremost, what a father should look like and to point them to the perfect father that you are. And so, Father, we admit and confess to you that we are not perfect in those ways, that we are still growing and um, seeking to uh, be sanctified so that we might be more like you. And so I pray that this morning you would help us towards that end, that you would use Adam's words and uh, just the time that we'll spend with the panel and our tables to help us to be more faithful, uh, to convict us of areas of sin where we just need to confess and repent and turn. And God, we thank you that you are the father that waits on that front porch for rebellious children like me, who loves us in the midst of our brokenness and who welcomes us with open arms. So Lord, I pray that that grace would just uh, overshadow all that is said and done in this place today. And that again, Lord, that we would be um, more in love with you as a result. So thank you for this time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks guys. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. How many of you guys have done the uh, Walt Disney World trip with your kids? Yeah, I'm not going to shame you. We're talking about money. I'm not going to shame you if that's you. But yeah, just uh, raise your hand. So a couple of you guys have done that. That's awesome. I, my family, I've told this story before. My dad 
as long as I could remember, had always promised to take us to Disney World. And he finally did it when I was 16 years old. Uh, I was a junior in high school and we got to go down there. And it was, without a doubt, one of the best memories I had growing up. One of, the, one of my favorite vacations we had with the family. We stayed on property. We stayed there at the Polynesian Resort. And so we drove the monorail or took the monorail everywhere. We didn't leave property for like five days. We rode all the rides. We went into all the parks. We ate so much food. We saw all the shows. I remember we got to have two or three desserts a day. I felt like it seemed like one of those trips where my parents did not say no one time. Whatever it is us kids wanted to do, we got to do it. We bought things. We got the t-shirts. We got the figurines. We got all that kind of stuff. I got to watch my mom uh, have an extra drink one night at dinner and pretend like it was snowing on the Polynesian beach, which was very unusual for her, but made for really fun family conversations right now about that one time uh, my mom got drunk and thought it was snowing and all that kind of stuff. So it was really, it was a lot of fun for us to go down there to Walt Disney World. So fast forward, so I was like 16, fast forward about 11 years Later, I've graduated from college, I'm living in Atlanta, and I'm about ready to move out here to Dallas to, to start seminary, and my dad was kind enough to make that trip with me, so I loaded up everything in a U-Haul, and my dad and I made that trip from Atlanta out to Dallas, and we're just having all kinds of conversations as we're driving out on that long 20-some-odd-hour drive, and at some point, I don't know where we were, maybe in uh, Mississippi somewhere, we start talking about he and my mom's financial situation, and he just starts opening up a little bit and just saying things about some of the struggles that they're having with consumer debt, some of the credit card bills that they have. And what I found really interesting as he was having that conversation with me is he said it all started with that trip to Disney World 11 years earlier. And come to find out, what I didn't know as a kid is that they didn't have the money. And I, and I talked to him about that. I said, so why did we take that trip and why did we go so big on that trip if you guys didn't have the money? And he said, I don't know. We've been talking about it for so long. We just wanted to have fun. You kids were getting older. We knew you were about ready to go off to college and we just said, let's just do it. Let's just go have fun. And we used credit cards for it. And in that moment, as he was sharing that story, so many things became clear for me as it came to my relationship with money and possessions. It became clear, number one, that I never really knew the details of my parents' financial situation. I watched my dad pay for things. I watched my mom write checks at the grocery store. I watched my mom sit at her desk and kind of pay bills. And I knew that money was a thing, but I never talked to my dad about the basics of financial management. And so it became really clear to me in that moment that there's a lot of details about my parents' financial situation that I did not know. But the other thing that became clear to me was this is exactly why I have the attitude towards money and possessions that I do right now. That my parents were the, the single greatest influence on my attitude towards money and possessions. As a, as a 20-something driving out here to Dallas, that was my attitude that I had towards money. Money equaled fun. That, that's exactly what it meant. That's what I saw growing up, is that when we wanted to have fun, what my family did is we spent money. And so my parents had an enormous influence on me. Even though they didn't sit down and teach me a lot of things about money, they had a huge influence on me and my attitude towards money and possessions. And so I start with that because that's what we're gonna be talking about today is how we can help our kids hopefully have a healthy relationship with money and possessions. And I think this is a, such an important topic for us because our family or our kids' family of origin, families are the number one influence on a kid's attitude towards money and possessions. Nothing else will impact their attitude like living where they're living right now. So there's a lot about our kids that we are not gonna control when it comes to money. We cannot control the habits that they're gonna have when they leave the house. We can't control that. We don't know what kind of decisions they're gonna make when one day they leave the house. Hopefully we don't know what they're gonna choose to spend on housing and transportation and their views towards generosity and savings. We can't control that. We can't control their habits. But we can have some influence on their attitudes. And so here this morning what I wanna do is I just wanna just share three practical ways that we can help to influence our kids' attitudes towards money and possessions because that's one of the things that we maybe can have some control over as they're under, uh, under our household and under our authority. And so that's what we're gonna do. I'm just gonna share three tips. There's probably 100. You guys, if we sat in here and just came up with all the ways that we could help influence attitude, I bet we could come up with a really exhaustive list. And so we just have about, I don't know, 10 more minutes. And so I just wanna share three tips with you guys on ways that we can influence the attitudes that our kids have towards money and possessions. So the first one is this, I'll just call it thoughtful pronoun usage. 
So that's a lot of fun at 6.45 in the morning to talk about grammar when it comes to money, but thoughtful pronoun usage. And so what we all know about kids is this, is that they come out of the womb and they know two words pretty quick. They know the word no, and then they know the word mine. And so that, that word mine that they just come pre-programmed, it seems like, to know, that word mine indicates that they have the wrong attitude towards money and possessions. Because one of the things that Wes has even alluded to here this morning that I'm sure a lot of you guys know, but it's worth reminding ourselves of, is that nothing on this earth is mine and nothing on this earth is yours. What David talked about in First Chronicles 29 when he says, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. So we see that in First Chronicles 29. We see it also in Psalm 24, reminding us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so the biblical view of money and possessions is one of stewardship, not one of ownership. God is the owner of everything and we are the stewards of everything. And so that pronoun usage is kind of a big deal. And so as parents, what we can start to do is be really thoughtful about that pronoun usage. And so we can just uh, control the way we talk about the possessions that we have in our homes, the way we talk about the possessions that our kids have. And so just being thoughtful about pronoun usage. And so for Jackie and I, it started really early with the boys. And so it's just at some point, they were having some wrestle over a toy, I'm sure. And there was just a teachable moment where they were saying, that's my toy. And we just reminded them, hey, Boys, we just wanna remind you that everything is the Lord's. That's not your toy, that's not our toy, that's God's toy, and so we, he gave you that toy to share and to steward, and so you need to be able to share and steward that. So just being thoughtful about pronoun usage. We'll do that sometimes uh, with, if there's uh, a gift that we receive or uh, with paychecks or if there's a raise or something like that, we'll have that conversation with the boys just to say, boys, the Lord has entrusted us with more. And so now we're gonna figure out what he wants us to do with that. If we're trying to make a purchase decision, Lord, we're just trying to figure out how, the, how God, or boys, we wanna figure out how God wants us to use his resources. So just these subtle yet consistent ways to try to be thoughtful with the pronoun usage will hopefully influence their attitude to understand nothing is theirs. They're not the owner of anything. They're the steward of everything. So that's one way is we can be thoughtful with our pronoun usage. The second way that we can be uh, influential towards our kids' attitudes is what I'll call opportunistic teaching moments. And so those of us uh, what we all know as dads is that so much of the discipleship that Wes was talking about is just being present and being ready for the opportunities to teach and to disciple and to shepherd when they present themselves. We can't control this. I, very few discipleship opportunities in my house do I plan do I put on the calendar and go, boys, we on Sunday night at six o'clock, we're going through a biblical view of generosity. Sit down, grab your notebooks, get ready. That is just not the way it happens in my house. We have to take these moments when they present themselves. And so for me, what I try to look for is opportunities to teach my boys three things in three areas when it comes to money and possessions that will hopefully influence some of their attitude. I try to take opportunities to teach them how to manage an income, I try to take opportunities to, to teach them about banking, and we'll talk about that here in a second, why we would try to teach them about banking, and then try to take opportunities to teach them just about business and the economy and the way to make money. So when these opportunities present themselves, we try to take advantage of those. So with money, and, or to try to, the first one of those with income, what Jackie and I have used, somebody shared it with us, so this is not our idea, and so I'll gladly share it with you guys. There's just a program that we use called Faith and Finances for Kids, run by an organization here in Dallas. We'll provide some links for you guys to go and, and check that out. But there's a picture of it. It is just, here's what I love. It is just a really simple piggy bank system rather than one piggy bank that when they get an allowance, it all goes into one piggy bank because what it is is there's four. And it's just teaching the boys that when they get some money, when they get some allowance, you don't just get to keep all that. $1 really isn't $1 to go spend on whatever you want. $10 isn't just $10 to go spend on whatever you want. So it teaches them at a young age that when you get some allowance, some of it goes to giving, some of it goes to short-term savings, some goes to long-term saving, and then the rest that's left over, that's your allowance that you can spend 
on whatever you want. So just taking those opportunities to teach them that that's the way it works. When, when I get a paycheck, it doesn't all just go into an account that I can use on whatever I want. Some of it goes to taxes, some of it goes to generosity, some goes to bills. And so it's just teaching them how to manage an income, trying to take advantage of those opportunities. With banking, here's what's crazy if we think about it. <clears throat> what most of us saw growing up with banking was cash and checks. And nowadays with banking and the whole just monetary system in our culture, very few of us have cash that we're carrying around with us. And so it is a really confusing time to try to figure out how to manage money in our culture. We've got cards, you've got your phone, you've got things that you do online. And so we just need to take advantage of those opportunities to teach our kids how this works, how you pay for stuff, because they're not seeing cash come in the house and then cash leave the house. So when you're at a restaurant and the bill comes and you set your credit card down, just look at, the, look at your kids and just go, how do you think this works? What, why, why is me giving this little piece of plastic, how do you think that works? Why is that paying for everything? So just trying to take advantage of those opportunities to talk about, when you're online and you're paying some bills, just, just talk about, hey guys, this is, this is the bank and I'll go over here and I transfer things and this bill came in and just, just getting them to understand how this digital uh, monetary, this digital money culture works. Those are some practical skills that we need to try to take advantage of those teaching opportunities. And then with business, trying to just help them understand how a business works and what profit is. And uh, so when you go to a restaurant again, just say, hey, why, how, do you think, how do you think this place stays in business? What do you think this, this restaurant does with this money? And just being ready to have those conversations. So the other day this happened, we were driving to go to a basketball game and my fourth grader is just in love with Teslas right now. So if any of you men drive a Tesla, you would have so much respect from Jake Tarno right now. And so he can spot them from miles away. We're walking through parking lots and he's like, I think there's four Teslas over there. And he's just, he's just into Tesla. So we're driving down to a basketball game and out of nowhere from the back seat, he is just asking question after question after question about how Tesla makes money. If somebody buys a Tesla, who gets that money? I mean, 10 minutes into that conversation, guys, I'm talking about stocks and stock options and dividends, okay? That was not on my agenda for discipleship that day. I was just trying to take advantage of the opportunity. And every time I was sharing information, they just kept asking more questions. And so that basketball game, we had fun watching the basketball game, but I hope my boys learned something about the way business works and just being ready to take advantage of those opportunities when they arise as we're encouraged in Deuteronomy 6-7 to do that. So we can be thoughtful with the pronoun usage. We can take advantage of opportunities to teach about some of the basics of money and possessions. And then the last one, and we'll just wrap up with this, is just uh, what I call intentional heart questions. Intentional heart questions. So what we know that Jesus taught, especially in Matthew chapter six, is that money is a heart issue more than it is a numbers issue. And so what he told us in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, that where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart, heart will be. And so that's something that we as dads need to help our kids understand is that uh, money and possessions is highly emotional. It's highly emotional. And one of the biggest competitors for our kids' hearts is not gonna be the popular kids. It's not gonna be uh, drugs and alcohol. It's not gonna be any of that kind of stuff that maybe, it's not gonna be video games one of the number one competitors for our kids' hearts is always gonna be money. And so as parents, we can start now, just whatever their age is, just asking those heart questions. And so here's the way I try to do this, is that after my kids make a purchase, after they buy something, a couple hours goes by, or maybe a couple days go by, or maybe a couple months go by, I just try to be intentional and ask them, hey, how are you feeling about that purchase right now? You were so excited when we were driving to Target or you were so excited when we were driving to the baseball card shop or we, you were so excited when you thought about that thing that we were gonna buy and now a couple weeks have gone by. What do you feel about that thing now? And I'm not trying to shame them or anything. I'm just trying to help them connect the dots that sometimes we think something is gonna add so much value to our life, then we buy it and we realize it doesn't. Just trying to connect the dots. So with purchasing decisions, I'm trying to engage in those conversations and then opportunities where they're generous, where they're giving something away, where they're sharing something, I'm trying to connect those dots as well because I'm seeing in their young little hearts what I know is true in my heart, that they really are starting to have more fun being generous 
than they are accumulating. And I saw this so perfectly this summer. My family and I, we love baseball and we go out to a lot of Ranger games this past summer. And we love to get there early for batting practice. And there was this one game in particular that we showed up early for batting practice. And the reason we like getting there early is the boys will sit out there in the outfield and the other players that are shagging fly balls, all the pitchers are out there shagging fly balls and talking. They'll just get lazy and not wanna throw the baseball in. And so they'll just turn around and throw it up to the kids. And this one game in particular, my boys accumulated like six baseballs. It, it, was, it was amazing. So they had all of these baseballs and we were stuffing them in backpacks to make it look like we weren't hoarding so a guy would throw them more and all this kind of stuff. And so we had all these baseballs and then Jake, my 10-year-old, comes over and he's like looking at the baseballs and there was this one older kid, a teenage kid, that was sitting right next to him on the fence line that was getting nothing. All the balls were being thrown up to Jake or to Josh. Nothing was, nothing was being thrown up to this one kid. And Jake on his own just goes, you know, Dad, we have a lot of baseballs. Do you think I should give one to that kid? Because he was down there and he didn't get any. I was like, we've got six, of course, yes, give them. We got plenty, give them a baseball. So he took one of those baseballs and went up to that boy and he was like, here, you can have that. And it was like, I wish I would have filmed it. The, the kid's face was like, I can have this? Jake was like, yeah. He's like, this is my first baseball game and I was down here and I didn't know. And, and this is amazing. Like, thank you, thank you so much for this. And that kid was sitting around us and he just held on to that baseball the entire game. And Jake came back and he was just beaming. He was like, that was so, I was like, what was more fun? Was it more fun to get those baseballs or give that baseball away? And he was like, it was so much more fun to give that baseball away. So as a dad, I want to continue to connect those dots for him. I wanna to continue to remind him of what he has experienced and I wanna be intentional with that. And so even just last night, as we're talking about Christmas stuff, it was just, hey, Jake, remember, what's more fun? Was it more fun to get all the baseballs or was it more fun to give it away? And he was like, it was more fun to give the baseball away. Again, not trying to shame him, just trying to remind him of reality and connect those dots for him. So there's so much about finances for our kids that we cannot control we can't control what their habits are gonna be. My dad, the habits I made and the decisions I made as a young adult, it was not my dad's fault. My dad did not do anything to control my habits. He had a huge influence on my attitude, but the habits, those were my, those were my decisions. And in the same way, we cannot control our kids' habits, but we can have some influence over their attitudes if we're thoughtful with our pronoun usage, if we take advantage of the opportunities to teach the basics whenever those opportunities arise. And if we're intentional with those heart conversations, then maybe we can instill a healthy attitude in our kids. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you have entrusted us with resources and the most precious of which are these kids that you've given to us. And so as dads, Lord, I pray that we will model well, that we will train our kids, that we will talk to our kids about how money and possessions are not ours, they are yours, and it is our job to steward those, to not to own those. God, I pray that you'll help us to take advantage of the teaching opportunities when they arise, and I pray that we will be intentional and thoughtful about the heart conversations, and that we can give our kids a great attitude with, towards money and possessions. And so we thank you for today that we can open up your word, and that it can be so helpful to us, and we ask all this in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. So good and so important for us. Um, so I'm excited for you guys, to, for us just to continue the conversation uh, with these men, as my hope is every time we gather for Dad use just to share friends with you who are uh, an encouragement to me in a lot of different ways. And so uh, Adam is certainly one of those that I've learned a ton from in this space. Uh, but I want to introduce you guys to these men. First is uh, Rick Howard right there in the middle. So uh, Rick and his wife, Michelle, have been married 23 years. Is that right? Almost 23, yeah. Come on, man. And uh, they have three boys. So Will, their oldest, is a freshman at Sanford out in Birmingham. Yep, okay. Uh, and then uh, Ryan is a junior at Lake, uh, Lake Highlands. It's hard to get that out as a Pierce dad. As like, oh, yeah. uh, and then Ben is a freshman there at Lake Highlands. Uh, uh, Michelle teaches uh, school across the way here at Coram Deo. And, uh, and Rick is practicing law now. He was on staff with us for a while, leading in kind of our international ministries here and then is now back in uh, practicing law again. And so I'm excited for you to hear more about Rick's story and uh, just the way that uh, this particular topic has um, come to bear in his own life and the way that he's shepherded that. And then Brian Buchek is one of our elders here at Watermark. If you guys don't know Brian, Brian and uh, his wife Morgan are typically up at the Plano campus and uh, I was able to get him down here. We're gonna talk more about the whole faith and finances for kids that Adam alluded to earlier. But if you go to the faith and finances website, uh, Morgan's 
face is right there, kind of front and center on the little promo video. And so we'll, you'll hear more about that. But I knew that Brian and Morgan have done a, a tremendous job in just thinking and being thoughtful about this particular topic as they've shepherded their kids. And so I wanted to share that with you. Uh, and then tell us your four kiddos. Five, five kiddos, sorry. I'm yep. at five. Five kiddos, uh, 10 and under. Um, see, I picked, we were picking up kids, I think, at Pine Cove this summer, so that's what that was from. I was snapping that one, but um, we homeschool our kids, so Morgan is full-time doing that, and uh, we live up just north of Plano campus. I've uh, been around Watermark for uh, about 12 years, so... Yeah. So guys, as we get started, Adam's already shared a little bit about just kind of his uh, family of origin and the influence that, that had on him and the way that he thought about money and possessions. Rick and, and Brian, share a little bit about your story of uh, both kind of your family of origin as well as kind of what was some of the turning point that we go, hey, these are the guys we want to hear from on this topic. Yeah. So um, in some ways I'm like Adam where my, my, uh, a lot of my parenting experience in, in a variety of ways, even my marriage experience is what my parents did. I would tend to move towards the other end of it. So my, my parents are in their 80s. Um, the only reason they are able to survive financially is because my mom was a school teacher and has kind of the traditional school teacher pension. So we never talked about money. I never knew anything about money. I had no idea my parents didn't have money. Grew up in a small town in South Georgia. Uh, and so I never learned or heard anything about that. And so it wasn't until I got married um, pre-Watermark days, and we've been around Watermark since the beginning, at Northwest Bible Church, we took a class called Crown Ministries. And the very first verse we ever learned about stewardship was First Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. Everything in the heavens and earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. And that verse, I don't know that I remember any other verses directly from that class, but that one verse transformed kind of this mindset in our lives of, hey, we are stewards of what God's given us. We are not owners of it. And so that's influenced tremendously our 22 years of marriage plus and certainly our 18 years as parents with our kids. Uh, for me, I, I grew up to a, in a middle-class home here in Richardson. Uh, my mom was a single mom, uh, worked hard to provide for us, but um, required a lot of us to. Uh, we worked uh, as kids and as teenagers um, for a lot of the things that we wanted. We had to work for it. Um, didn't really have a, a concept of stewardship at all. She taught us money management um, when I was 14, 15, 16, mowing lawns, making money, she taught us how to, how to manage that money. And so she set us up well um, on that side of things. But I did not have a, a framework of uh, just being a good steward biblically. Um, got into college and into my 20s, uh, and similar to what these guys have shared, just kind of decided to you know, kind of do what was opposite you know, from how I was raised, which she was very frugal. And I think probably had a, overall an attitude of just fear toward money. Um, just my dad having died when I was really little. And so just, she just had a, I think, uh, you know, money, money was a, an area of fear for her. And so um, I took some of that on, but I think it, how it came out in my 20s was, man, I just wanted to spend money. And so money that I got, I just wanted to spend it. And I got married young, and so that created uh, struggles for Morgan and I as we were, you know, 22, 21 um, just trying to get started in our marriage, and I was, you know, not communicating well and hiding spending and, you know, racking up a little bit of debt here or there, and so just leading really, really poorly in those early years. And so uh, we got to Watermark, by God's grace, uh, not too much later, and began to learn here about what it means to, to be a steward. I really had never heard that word, um, that, that God owns everything and that he entrusts things to us resources to us, which are his, and then that, that makes me a steward of what is not mine, it's his. And so um, that whole concept really just began to get deeper in my heart, and, and, uh, tr and God used it to transform me and, and transform just the way that um, I look at our finances and the way that we treat God's resources in our home and talk about it and, and live it out. So I, hear, I hope you hear from really all three of these guys. I know, Adam, we could probably go into your story, which we don't even have time for, of just how the gospel transformed all three of you in the way that you saw finances yourself and then how that's bringing transformation in your home. So, Rick, talk a little bit about 
that, that, you know, Adam talked about the whole pronoun deal. And so you've got three boys and, yeah. and uh, talk about, about how you and Michelle specifically, some of the decisions you made to help kind of, uh, you know, offset some of that me, mine thinking that was just inherent in their little hearts. Yeah. So, so my boys are 37 months apart. So my, my neighbor calls them Catholic triplets. Like you can reproduce as fast as is biologically possible. <laughs> that was not intentional. We'll That's cut that the from the audio. God, by I'll just by take God's that. grace. So, um, <laughs> We sought out, like a lot of you guys are doing right now, we sought out people who were further along the path than, than we were. So guys like Kyle Kegler, who's the pastor up in, uh, the campus pastor up in Plano, was a good friend. We had done Young Life with him. And Kyle had three daughters and talked to other folks around here. It's like, man, how do we instill in our kids a sense of something other than it's just all about them, which is kind of the way they're gonna be raised in this culture. And so one of the best pieces of advice we got was make them share life together. By that meaning, put them in a room together because we all grew up in a home. You know, everybody's goal seems to be, I want to, my, every kid needs their own space, their own room. They can hang out. They can have their individual time. They can go retreat away. And so we took sort of the opposite approach. As soon as my youngest son was able to sleep through the night, our boys went in a room together. Uh, and so they did not, they never knew a, uh, not sleeping in the same room literally until my oldest son started eighth grade and schedules got so far out of whack that it just didn't make sense to do that. <coughs> Even then, my youngest two still shared a room. So um, we did that intentionally because we knew, hey, if they're living together, they're gonna begin to live, uh, to learn how to accept that other people are in their space, that everything they have is not their stuff. It's not mine and mine, it's ours. Or, you know, hopefully we're trying to instill in them a sense that it's God's, but at that age, it's much more, hey, it's just not all your stuff. You've gotta learn to live with each other. You've gotta learn to share with each other because, you know, frankly, one day these guys, we hope, are gonna be husbands and they're gonna have to learn how to live with someone else and share. They're gonna have kids. They're gonna have to learn how to share. Um, uh, We felt like we did a really good job of that. We also had, um, you know, we had some resources that were provided for us as as a practice law. And to my shame, in spite of those lessons, I still sort of buying into the whole culture of you gotta have the right house and the right car, and the right country club, and the right office downtown, and I did all those things, so I'm teaching my kids it's God's stuff, and it's not about, it's not yours, it's God's, don't use mine, and mine, use his and ours, um, and I'm modeling something completely different, and then I had a chance to go on a discipleship trip with Watermark in the uh, 2007 to Congo to teach a bunch of lawyers, and then go back again and do that, and God just really racked me that there was a hypocrisy in the way I was living my life, that I was talking to my kids about one thing, but I was modeling something completely different for them. And so that started a process for us over a couple of years of kind of downsizing our life and going, hey, we're gonna force our kids to live in a much more confined space. Um, We're gonna live on a lot less than we have in the past uh, and begin not just to model, not just to talk about mine, give it lip service, but actually try to model um, more more, uh, proactively for them as they became, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 year olds, so. So good. Brian, uh, talk about that balance. We, when we were talking the other day, we just said there is that, and I think all of us as dads feel that tension of the my, mine, ours, uh, and yet we also want to instill in them a sense of, okay, but this is your responsibility. So talk about how yeah. you and Morgan have kind of navigated that, that balance. Yeah, um, you know, five kids, 10 and under, we have a, just a lot of opportunity to practice um, just helping them uh, take responsibility uh, for for you know, things that are in their possession. And so, uh, you know, three, similar to what Rick said, three of our boys share a room. And so uh, the 10-year-old, 8-year-old, and 4-year-old all share a room together. And so there's just constant opportunity, even just with their room. And just the way that daily life happens, uh, and I think some of the balance probably is just, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't tell them to go pick up God's clothes on the floor of their room. That, that would probably be confusing to them. Uh, I, hey, buddy, go pick up your clothes. It's a mess in there, right? Buddy, go make your bed. Those are, those are just normal things that we're having them do. And my 10-year-old, who I think might be a lawyer, has turned that around and me. Dad, it's not my bed, it's God's. Okay, well, God wants you to make his bed, okay? Um, you know, and there, I, I think where we've tried to balance, too, is just knowing that, hey, there, there are possessions and, and clothes. You know, the, the clothes go in, in the 10-year-old's drawer. These clothes go in the eight-year-old's drawer. And so th- there is a, a sense of ownership over some of, those, some of those items or, you know, this boy rides this bike, this boy rides this scooter. Um, and, and so typically the way we've tried to do it is just, hey, if somebody gets something new in our house, 
we give them a little bit of grace period for that newness and that shininess to kind of wear off. Um, we would love to see them be generous early in, in that process, that first day, that first few days or week. But similar to what Adam said, um, it doesn't take long for that new shininess to wear off. And so what we tell the other siblings when that other kid gets the new thing, whatever it is that they will all wanna use, hey, don't ask, just give it a few days and, and, then, and then we'll let you ask. Um, but in the meantime, we hope that that the kid that got the gift or whatever it is, that they are going to choose to be generous even before their siblings ask. And so we just give them a little bit of grace period there, just knowing how kids are, that, hey, that you get asked to, to use something that's brand new to you, man, it just makes them wanna hold on to it even tighter that first day. And so we just say, hey, it's the first day they got it, give them a few days, and I guarantee you in three days, he's not gonna be writing it every second of the day. Yeah. And you're gonna have plenty of opportunity to use that, so. He won't even know where it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> God will, because it's yeah. God's. Yeah. Um, that's good. Uh, so uh, Adam, talk. A, uh, we're gonna move on to, you talked about just uh, teaching the basics, and I love, uh, obviously, coming back to Deuteronomy 6 yeah. and just seeing that. And so uh, unpack that a little bit more for us, if, if you can, uh, just what do those conversations look like? Uh, how do you think through, man, what do I talk to my kids about? You know, do I lay out my whole income for them and taxes and everything? Like, how, did, how have you guys thought about that to this point in parenting? Yeah, I... The fourth grader starts to ask more questions now about, uh, he got a pair of basketball shoes for his birthday and one of the first questions he asked was how much do those cost? And I just knew in his heart, I was like, I could just tell, I said, I'm not telling you. And he was like, why aren't you gonna tell me? And I was like, cause I think you're gonna use that to go brag or whatever. And also I don't wanna disappoint you that I got them on sale. So, um, <laughs> but, so there's, I'm noticing with the fourth grader that I, I, the numbers would not be helpful to him because it would just start spinning in his mind. He's starting to connect some more dots with, with the world now. So with the, with the conversations about money, I just let them, I let them, uh, whatever question they ask, I wanna answer that question. Honestly, the approach I take with this is very similar to the approach of talking about sex with kids. Is so let them ask the question, answer the question, kind of try to impress them with vocabulary and but don't give them more info than what they asked for because I don't want their eyes to glaze over. And then if they still have a question, they'll ask another one. So that conversation where we're talking about Tesla, it was, it started with one question, I answered it. Then there was another one, I answered it. Then there was another one, I answered it. Then there was another one, and I answered it. And that's, you know, for 20 minutes, that's what, that's what we were talking about. So I'm just trying to answer the question that they have. And as somebody that I just, I just like teaching anyway, I'm trying to think about how can I say this in the simplest ways that they're going to be, continue to be curious and maybe ask some more. And so just trying to use simple terms, uh, just know what kind of information they want, but also want to use the right vocabulary. Uh, I, I want them to be to to kind of view Jackie and I as the experts. And again, it's very similar with with sex. So when they, if they hear sex talked about at school, I want them to think, "Hold on, my mom and dad have talked to me about this. They're the experts. I'm going to go to them." And so in the same way, when they start to hear about things with money and possessions, I want them to go, "Hold on, I think my mom and dad have talked to me a lot about this. They're the experts. I want to go to them." It's really good. I, I will, one thing I will say uh, as a, a balance to that is if you have a naturally inquisitive kid, that works really well. I have, my oldest is not inquisitive. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm having to go to him and go, hey, we need to talk about this. You know, and, uh, and so just know your kids in the midst of that. If you're like, man, my kids never asked me about Tesla. You know, when am I ever gonna have an opportunity? You may have to be more the initiator depending on the personality of your child in that sense. And so just be aware of that. But yes, then answer their, you know, uh, look for those questions and you don't have to go uh, beyond that. Brian, talk about how you guys have used specifically faith and finance uh, to intentionally teach and to be, yeah. you know, a little bit more. Yeah, uh, so just, uh, you know, we use the same system that Adam uh, talked about, this faith and finances for kids. And so just know, it's, it's not the way to do it. It's, it's a way, it's, it's just a tool. Um, and so it's blessed our family because it's, it's just given us some structure um, and, and a lot of opportunity for conversation. And so we've been using this with our kids since my oldest was three, I think, and he's 10. And so the last seven years. And so what it's done for these past seven years and as we've added more kids, um, it, every couple weeks when we kind of do this payday or when we you know, give them the allowance, um, 
it's just opportunity to remind them of the five stewardship principles that we talk about. And so it's, we go through them every time and our kids repeat them back to us. So all, all our four of our five oldest kids know these five principles that God owns everything. He loans us what we have. He uh, wants us to take care of what we have. He wants us to be content. And at the end of our life, we wanna hear good job, faithful servant. And so our kids can, can you know, hash that back to us. Um, they know the, the four, uh, these four, you know, boxes that, that you saw up on the screens, the, the, the giving, the short-term savings, the long-term savings, um, and then their allowance. And so there's verses that go with those. And so the big win is that now all of our kids know these verses. They're really easy, short verses. Second Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver is the first one. Um, the second one is uh, Proverbs 13, 11, that it's gather wealth little by little is, is for the savings. Uh, reserves is um, kind of that, that idea of just to helping you stay out of debt. And so it's um, Romans 13, 8, uh, let no debt remain except the debt to love. And then the last one uh, for the allowance section is just um, uh, Matthew 6, 33, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so all of our kids can tell you all of those verses. And I think that's the biggest win of doing this system is that it's, it's just been years of um, just repetition and they understand and kind of can put, you know, think about money in these sort of areas. And um, it's just been really helpful too as we've lived that out, uh, particularly just in the area of delayed gratification, that when we're at the store and they see something they want, um, one of our first questions usually is, well, how much money do you have? It's not necessarily on us to have to decide um, every single time whether mom or dad are gonna buy that for them. We can pitch it back to their court. How, how have you been saving? Or have you been spending every time you get any money, you spend it right away? Um, and, and gives us an opportunity to not buy it right then. We get to go home, we get to look, okay, how much money have you saved? We get to talk about you know, how long it's gonna take to save for that, you know, item, um, and then plant, is, is that a wise use? You, are you, you know, to Adam's point, are you, gonna, are you gonna feel good about buying that, or are you gonna miss out on that next thing that um, you've, you've also talked about? And so um, it, that's been amazing. It's, it's just helped our kids learn to think through the, what they wanna spend their money on um, and, and why, versus just that immediate, oh, I gotta have it now, and I, I expect mom and dad to buy it for me. There's really none of that that happens in our house. Yeah. And Brian, I know you mentioned just there was a, there's a consistent rhythm of that for your family. Like every yeah. payday for you yeah. is, every hey, we sit weeks. down at the table, we go through those principles and those verses again, we put the money in the buckets. And, yep. and so, man, that's so valuable, just that regularity and, and rhythm in that. So, um, uh, that, by the way, we'll share that resource. That'll be in an email that'll come out to you. We'll send you the link to that if that's something. It, there is a cost uh, to that. Ironically, I always think it's funny. I'm like, I have to pay money so that I can give money. Give money, <laughs> to my kids. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pay money to give money to my kids, and now I don't have any money. So, uh, but anyway, it is a great resource. You don't have to buy everything as is. You can yeah. build your own. Totally. I think you guys have done yeah. that, and uh, and so. But those principles are really, really valuable, and the folks who uh, designed that are very like-minded and like. Uh, you know, with us and things like money-wise and, and all that. So, Rick, you and Michelle have not done allowances for your boys, and instead, uh, you've gone a little bit of a different route. Talk about how you've instilled the value of work and, uh, you know, income and all that in, in your boys. Yeah, so, so uh, there was no faith in finances for kids around when my kids were younger. So, early days of Watermark, we, were, we helped be part of the money-wise stuff and work through that. And so, my kids saw a lot of those principles being lived out in our life. We talked, my wife and I talked about them. We led foundation groups and we talked about them in those groups and my kids were around that. Um, and so one of the principles that we heard early on was, hey, this idea of, hey, you give them a dollar for you know, a month for whatever grade they're in and it progresses up and you teach them about money that way and you know, assign chores to them. And what we realized um, early on is a couple things. One, my kids are not pure capitalists like I am. Like I was always motivated by money um, to do things long before I was ever really in love with the Lord, I, I was motivated by money uh, and still struggle with that in some respects. My kids, on the other hand, are not. They, they, that was not, an, that allowance thing did not work for them. The carrot and the stick, hey, if you do this, at the end of two weeks, if you've taken the trash out of everything, there's gonna be a reward for you, and if not, there's gonna be a cost. And what we ended up doing was just torpedoing our relationship with our kids because I'm a very much check the box. If you say you're gonna do it, do it. And I'm, 
Every two weeks, I'm just in a fury because I can't get anybody to do what they're supposed to do um, for this one little dollar we're trying to give them. And so, like, all right, we're gonna abandon that. Uh, I see the problem. Yes. <laughs> it's just a dollar is not yeah, worth it. Yeah, that's right. It's just not what it used to be. <laughs> you can't get what you used to get. So inflation has kicked in. Um, and so we just said, okay, what can we do? What do how do we, how do we uh, and I don't know that this was as much thoughtful as it was a part of my upbringing. It was just this idea of working. So I started working when I was 13, 14 years old. Um, I had to pay for much of my college. I had to pay for all of my law school. And so my kids have heard that sense of, hey, dad always worked in an and so early on, we started instilling in them this idea of working around the neighborhood, whether that was working in our house. And so when my kids, my oldest son's eight years old, he's out mowing the grass with me, and I can remember my neighbor coming over and going, hey, man, it's bad enough that you mow your grass. Now you've got your kid mowing your grass. Um, you know, what are you trying to tell the rest of the neighborhood kind of deal? And I just realized, man, my comment to him was, no one else is gonna teach my boys how to work. Like, they're not gonna inherently work. They, they are inherently sluggards, you know, Proverbs 24 talks about the sluggard. Well, that is inherently what most of us are, and I want my kids to be ants. You know, Proverbs talks about consider the ant. And so we just early on started having conversations about the value of work, about God's intent for work, the how it's part of what we're supposed to be, and then we started setting the expectation that these guys have talked about, which is, hey, if you want things, you're going to have to learn to, to, to pay for those things. Like, there are certain things we're going to indulge our kids with but you're, you're gonna be, you know, the equivalent for me was always my parents were the last people to buy a microwave, I think, in the entire state of Georgia. They were convinced it was a fad, it would go away, you're gonna get cancer from it. And so I used to tell my kids, I go, you have a microwave father. And I, I go, we're always gonna be the last one to get whatever the Xbox that's coming out now, we're gonna be like three generations behind that. My kids got flip phones, but everybody else was getting iPhones. Um, and so I'm trying to instill in them a sense of, hey, defer, delayed gratification, a sense of, hey, you've got to work to pay for what you want. When my oldest son was in seventh grade, and I've now had this conversation with the other two boys, hey, you're going to help pay for college. And when I was on staff, it was a, it was a little more for them to go, hey, resources are less um, working for staff than they would be as an attorney. But even as I've transitioned back to go, you're still responsible for, for a fourth of what you're gonna, your cost of college is going to be. And whether that's scholarship money or money you've saved up, and so... My oldest son started at, at Sanford, not Stanford, by the way, Sanford. Um, so his, you know, he got a, a really nice scholarship, and then his part of the bill was about $20,000, which seems incredibly huge to me. Um, and today's standards is not a significant amount of money for college costs. And so he's got to come up with 5000 bucks. Well, if I had told him that in January of his senior year, that would have seemed like a really unfair thing to do to him. But we started talking about that in seventh grade of, hey, you're gonna have to help pay for college. Like even if we had the money, we don't think that's your birthright for us to go into debt or for us to have to work more than we feel like is an appropriate amount for us to work um, just so you can have the college experience you want. Um, you're gonna have to pay for gas. We're gonna provide a car that, by the way, my boys share. So my, my oldest son comes home from college in two days and the, tw the tw uh, texting war has already begun as to who owns the car that my two oldest sons share, this 12-year-old old girls' Jeep Liberty that we have. And, and so um, instilling in this sense of, hey, you've got to work. My son's coming home Thursday. He's like, hey, what are you doing to find a job for the next four weeks? Because tuition's coming due in January. And you've got some of that, but you've got to have more of that. So um, that, that sense of work, which we think is really biblical. And we, when we don't think that's something that people find is commonplace for people, and it's not just get a job working a little bit, it's getting a job working a bunch, you know, school, when school's in, that's their job. But, but the idea that they're gonna spend four weeks sitting around doing nothing is probably the thing that would cause me to jump off a cliff, so. That's good. So dramatic. That's so dramatic. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Uh, that's so good. Um, so let, let's move on real quick, just with a few minutes we have left, uh, and just kind of talk about, gosh, Rick, there's, I have another question I wanna, talk about your boys and just the, the difference of their hearts. So oh, yeah, yeah, goes to yeah, Adam's. Yeah, uh, it, it's a great transition to Adam's last point about just, man, how do we help our kids navigate their hearts? So you've got three boys who yeah. are very different, yeah. very different sin struggles in this area. So how did you shepherd those unique yeah. uh, aspects of your boy's so, personality? So, so it's amazing. You can see ge how God's just uh, ordained genetically our kids in so many different respects and the difference between my wife and I. And so my boys raised very much in the same environment with the same parenting to some extent, um, completely different attitudes about money. So my oldest son, 
um, was always kind of a good balance. He, he, he understood working hard. He understood saving. We, had a, we, had a, we didn't have a faith and finances deal. We just had a bank that my wife found at like Lifeway Christian Store that had three, picture, you know, three little signs on it, a pair of hands, a heart, and a dollar sign. So spending, saving, giving. So everything they got, whether it was birthday money or whatever, they got a third, a third, a third went into that bucket starting back at early elementary school. And we started to see in our boys, or my oldest one, that was not really a struggle for him as much to, to, to spill, split it up and spend, put three and a uh, third in each one. My middle one, on the other hand, um, he is the uh, embodiment of the idea that money is burning a hole in his pocket. And so if he's got it, he's got to spend it. So now why do I have to put it in this savings bank and this giving bank? I can't, why can't we just put it all in the, the dollar sign bank that we get to go spend whatever we want to on? And then my third one is the exact other end of the spectrum. He's a hoarder. Like he's gonna be the banker for his brothers one day because he's gonna have all this cash laid away. Um, and so how do we shepherd through that, that? My oldest one that's got a balance of it, um, who now really, you know, I sent them a text after Wes asked me about this. So what did you learn from your dad? And so my oldest one would say, hey, he's a freshman in college. Man, I learned that... Um, God's got a plan for, essentially, God's got a plan for the resources that we have, and we need, to be, we need to be aware of that as we make decisions on what we do with it. My youngest son was like, um, you know, don't spend your money today because there's something else you might want down the road with it. So he put God in there, but it really wasn't part of the conversation. I think he was trying to make me feel good. <laughs> my, my middle son's was really simply, he goes, don't spend your money on stupid stuff. Like that was, that was stewardship boiled down for my middle child. That's a good one. That's and good. so trying to shepherd those kids to go, man, God's called you to have a generous heart to, to be involved in, whether that's sponsoring a kid out of Uganda or to be involved in ministry. Um, and every time you take a dollar and do it with something that indulges yourself, then you've taken an opportunity away from God to use that money for something else. That's good. That's good. So uh, I think one of the greatest um, opportunities that we have here at Watermark especially is the idea of child sponsorship. Uh, I think it gives us a unique opportunity, a uh, shepherding opportunity with our kids if we bring our family into uh, that process. So Adam, talk about what you and Jackie have done and, and just how your boys have responded to the, the kids that you guys are sponsoring right now. Yeah, it has been so fun, especially again, the, the 10-year-old has really taken to this, like, this correspondence. And so he's the one that's driving writing letters to our, uh, we're, we're sponsoring a couple kids in, in uh, El Salvador. So he's been the one writing the letters. He's excited when the other letter comes in. We've got the pictures on the refrigerator just as, as reminders. And so I think it was even this Saturday or, or even one day last week, he was sitting down just going, oh, I, I gotta write a letter uh, to David and just let him know and uh, how we celebrate Christmas here in the United States. And so he was writing different things down about his experience in the Christmas season uh, that may be different than what David experiences down in El Salvador. So just that that conversation with them of just there's there's more kids in the world. Not every kid has what you have. It's just more opportunities to try to teach them the differences and try to get them to see what what they really do have here, regardless of income levels and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so just getting them to hopefully practice some of that contentment. Yeah, yeah. We don't have time to dive into all these guys could offer on that, but I mean just. I know Rick would tell you, hey, just bringing your kids along in ministry, whether it's uh, going on an international trip and, and uh, that experience, or just in right here in your backyard, uh, right here at Watermark, uh, serving, whether it's in South Dallas or mentoring a kid in West Dallas, like I know you guys have, have done, Rick, and the, uh, the Forerunner ministry now and, and all that. Those are just prime opportunities for your kids to understand, okay, Hey, this is not mine. It does belong to the Lord's. And uh, just, man, what a profound statement from Will. You know, that, man, God has a plan for this dollar that I just earned. Uh, and, uh, and I need to be sensitive to the spirit and moving in that. That only happens as we bring our kids into uh, those conversations. Brian, you guys have done that in the way that you've thought about giving. I know you told kind of a funny yeah. story about uh, how y'all have been intentional about your kids giving what they have stored in their little banks, yeah. and so tell us about that real quick. Yeah, so uh, about once a month, we'll have them kind of take what they've put up, you know, in the bank for, the, for their giving and put it in a little baggie, put their names on it, and they are responsible to get it from their bank into the car, from the car, into church, into the giving slot, right, which is a fairly big process when <laughs> you got all these little kids, but um, it, that's been amazing, and what's been amazing about it is just to explain the why and so we get to 
do this you know, repetitively, month after month after month, explaining the why. Why do we give? Why, why, does, why does God tell us that he loves a cheerful giver? Because it, it's good for our hearts, it grows us, it, it makes us more Christ-like, um, and, and it helps further God's work. And so when we help our kids to give and to you know, put, put their money into the giving slide, it, it's, hey, what are you doing here with your money? Are you giving it to God? You could say you're giving it to God, but I think we, we try to be more specific, which is, hey, we are giving this to God's work through the church. Because it can be confusing to a little kid to think, okay, how is God getting this money and what's he gonna do with it? No, we're, we're giving it to the church and the church is gonna steward it. The church stewards it to pay staff salaries and to partner with other ministries and to, to you know, uh, run all the ministries that we do here to make disciples. And so, hey, Bryce, who's four, buddy, you get to be, be a part of what God is doing at Watermark when you give your 75 cents of quarters and, or in his little baggie that he so joyfully puts in the giving slot, I mean, that's, it's an amazing just process to begin to build with him for him to understand why we do it, what the money goes to, um, and, and then ultimately just hopefully, hopefully building what's gonna be just a habit for him to, to see that, hey, there is joy when I, when I release what is God's, that I don't have to hold on to, to all of this, that I, that I do experience joy in putting this in the little slot. Um, and then the Plano guys who go around and collect the money from the giving slots, they always give me a hard time because they're always having to count all these quarters. That are there for the <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Serves them right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, man, it's, I mean, you see that? I mean, it can so. just be as easy as that these opportunities that, that the Lord has, uh, has given us. Uh, as we wrap up, Adam, talk to the dad that's sitting out there going, man, I've kind of made a mess of my finances. Maybe they're sitting there going, I, I've got so much debt, I don't know what to do. What, what platform do I have to speak from to you know, teach my kids about money and finances? What would you say to that dad this morning? Uh, I just feel like parenting is one massive exercise in hypocrisy already you know it's like this is just another topic let's tweet where that out i did that's not good. i didn't live this way growing up and now i'm going to tell my kid to live that way and it's like that's parenting and so we we you got to get over that sooner or later and uh but but honestly it could also be a motivation to to try to get your own financial house in order a little bit and so just again to plug money wise that we've talked about a few times it's a great ministry a great first step here and with, with finances, what we've, I've realized when I led MoneyWise for a while is there's some, there's some basics that you can talk that apply to everybody, but sooner or later, everybody's situation is very unique, and that's what I also love about the MoneyWise ministry is they have some coaches available that you can go through the class and do the homework, but then if you need somebody to really get into the details of your situation, there's some coaches that would be available to meet with you just to help you think about and develop some plans. And so, so if you're sitting here just feeling an overwhelming sense of shame of just going, I, I don't have anything to impart with my kids, the principles that we've talked about today, you can do regardless of your financial situation. You can still uh, have these conversations. You can still watch the pronoun usage. You can still do the heart connection. You can still teach the basics. None of that, you, you don't have to have a net worth of a certain amount to be able to do that. You can do those things. And then maybe use this as some motivation to get your own personal uh, financial situation in order. And there's some amazing resources here to be able to help you with yeah. that. Yeah, I think about, um, uh, you know, Rick, your story of, I mean, there was a confession and repentance aspect when you guys realized, hey, we need to downsize. Yeah. And that there was a, uh, and so I think there was something beautiful in that for your boys to see. And my dad isn't just saying, take care of you. Like he's, he's now living this out. And so I do think, you know, if you are in the midst of that, man, I haven't been faithful in this area, that there is a great lesson to be taught to our kids through just our own confession of, hey, I haven't been the best here and I, I want to grow in this. And so, uh, you know, just bringing your kids in age appropriately into that and letting them know, not uh, piling on a lot of um, fear because, oh my gosh, you know, my dad just told me that, you know, we're in you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds scary. We want to be wise and careful about that. But to bring them in in a general sense to go, hey, 
This is how your daddy wants to grow as a follower of Jesus. And that is impactful in the life of your kid um, for you to confess, ask for their forgiveness, ask for the Lord's forgiveness, bring this to community. I mean, those are all skills that we want our kids developing of wisdom. And, and so whether that is going through the Money Wise ministry in that particular program or something else, I mean, take advantage of those resources. So, hey, will you guys thank these guys for me? And, uh, I really wish you could just kind of sit in on the phone calls that I've gotten to have with these guys over the last week, and, and uh, there's so much more I want them to share with you, and we just don't have time. I'm going to give you a chance to be at your tables and, and just to uh, dive into this with your table leaders. As I was thinking about this morning, there is a, there's a character in uh, my favorite movies are the Lord of the Ring movies and Return of the King and uh, all that, and there's a character in Return of the King that is my favorite character. It's this guy. He, his title is the Steward of Gondor. And his job was, hey, this is the throne of the king, and you are to sit on it and be a steward of this kingdom until the king returns. And in the uh, Tolkien uh, storyline, that was hundreds of years that had gone by. And what we see in this character is that his heart got poisoned because eventually he began to think, you know what, I'm not just a steward, I'm the king. I'm the owner. And so when Gandalf comes in and says, hey, the king is coming, we need to rally the army to fight off the enemy, he says, no, 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 this is my kingdom and I'm here to protect it. And ultimately what we see in that character is it just drives him crazy. He ends up jumping off in a, a ball of flames, right, of this bridge uh, there in, in the movie. And it's such a vivid image to me personally that I am a steward, not just of my resources, but of my kids. And if I wanna drive myself crazy, I just begin to think, oh, they're mine. They belong to me. I'm in control. My money is mine. It belongs to me. I'm in control. And we are stewards. God has given us that role. And there is great joy in that, that the king is coming. We're just sitting, uh, you know, and kind of reigning with him right now over a portion of what, uh, what he's given to us. And we want to be faithful so that when the king returns, as you heard in some of those principles that we hear, man, well done, good and faithful servant. That is your goal. That's your goal as a dad is just to be a faithful steward. And so let's spend some time at our tables just talking about that. We've got some discussion questions there. Leaders, uh, you should have grabbed that sheet. If you didn't, we'll have them up here on the screen for you if you can read that. And, uh, but let's just spend some time talking about this. And then I'll be back up here at eight to give you a couple of announcements and uh, to send us off. So thanks, guys.